0: Father, we thank you for this evening as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us.
1: Holy Spirit, be the teacher, be the inspiration behind today's teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. So you're all welcome to tonight's Midweek Bible Study. Uh, Last week, from chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, we realized that true joy does not come from the law. And we we realized that the law is where one can easily have confidence in the flesh. That was one of the things Apostle Paul said. And anything that you can have confidence in, especially when it comes to, um, to the reliance of your flesh, you will not have true joy. True joy comes in Christ, and that was established in the first six verses of chapter three. So relationship is the key. Relationship is the source of joy, not religion. And Apostle Paul, mind you, he wasn't writing this from an abstract point of view. He was writing this from a very personal, a very practical um, uh, experience. Because mind you, Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He was somebody who was very lettered, very skilled in the law, yet he didn't find true joy. And that's why when you read verse 3 of that scripture, excuse me, when you read verse 3 of that scripture, he says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirits, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. All right? Rejoice, that's joy. So true joy can be found in Christ. It doesn't come from external superficials, you know? And that was what the law really majored on. It it wasn't a source of joy. It wasn't. So Apostle Paul was making the difference. And Paul said, look, I had many things to boast of all these things, they didn't let me rejoice. I only came to rejoice when I shifted from having confidence in the flesh to now worshiping God in the spirit where I truly found joy in Christ. So some things cannot give us joy. Paul had subtle symbol. That's the circumcision. Circumcision at that time was a status symbol. It, It divided the society into different stratums or strata. Circumcision was one of them. If you were circumcised, it had a very deep spiritual implication. Today, circumcision is really not a big deal. All males have to be circumcised. It's a biological reason. But in those days... Circumcision was not a biological reason. Circumcision had a very spiritual and a very weighty matter to it. When you were circumcised, it means you were a descendant of Abraham. You are the seed of Abraham that God has made a covenant with, that in blessing I will bless you. It was a huge, it it brought so much division and schisms among different tribes. Okay. And Israel was not the only tribe. There were many. The nations aside Israel, all of them were not circumcised. So it was a status symbol. Paul said that my status symbol, which gave me confidence in the flesh, didn't make me happy. It didn't produce joy. Number two, he came from a distinguished tribe. That didn't help him either. He said, I come from the tribe of Benjamin. The first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin, who was Saul. You know? so, I could boast that from my lineage, there's royalty, but that didn't give him true joy. Number three, nationality. He could boast about that. I remember one time I read an article many years ago, and the the title of the article is How Powerful Is Your Passport? Very interesting. You know, there are 196 countries in the world, so they say, but there are certain passports where you have you, you have access. I think that the passports, which gives you the highest access to the number of countries was the UK passports. You are able to go to 178 countries without going for visa. And then followed by the US, the US passport, you are able to go to 176 countries without no visa. And then the rest, it, it trickles down In fact, I was very interested in looking at my country and some other things. You know, it it comes back to just double figures, okay? It comes back to double figures. But so much division. And when I finished reading that, I started laughing. I said, who is the one who even decided that I'm going to bring these lines of demarcation to how far you can travel just because of a book or a passport? What does that got to do with Doesn't the Bible say that the F is the loss and the fullness thereof? Who who is that person who decided that I'm going to restrict your access to certain countries based on a passport? And maybe some people, when they read this, they will feel very good. People with British passports, if they read it, they will feel very good. People with American passports, if they read it, they will feel very good. Some people who don't have certain passports, when they read it, they will not feel very good. They might feel very inferior. Nationality, nationality, nationality is causing a lot of divide on which barriers you can cross, which territories you can cross. Your nationality will determine this is your demarcation. This is how far you can go with your passport. If you want to cross over this demarcation, it's demanded you have a visa in your passport. Very interesting. And in Paul's day, Nationality was a big thing. Today, it's still a big thing. But you know that no matter your nationality, it's never the true source of joy. Never. can be the true source of joy. Paul was really an unfiltered Hebrew. And the reason why he had to say that was, you know, during those times, Gentile population was starting to grow. So there were many Jewish people who started to adapt customs of Gentiles. They were starting to embrace Gentiles, many of them. In fact, Jewish people who could speak Greek were called Hellenists. It was becoming common. They started to embrace Jewish customs, Jewish, sorry, Jewish people were now beginning to uh, uh, embrace Gentile customs and, and stuff like that, mostly because they might want to do business with them and stuff like that, but Paul says that I'm a very
0: unfiltered Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, no mixture. Right,
1: so he could have boasted his nationality. He could have even boasted his profession or level of education. There are some people who like to boast of their professional level of education. How happy has that made you? How joyful has that made you? It's good to go to Harvard. It's good to go to an Ivy League school. But if you are thinking this is going to be the source of your joy, you have another thing coming. Paul was educated. To be a Pharisee, you had to be lettered. That's where the word doctor comes from. You know, when you were a Pharisee, you were a doctor, basically. Why were you a doctor? You were a doctor because you you dealt with doctrine. That's where the word doctor comes from. So if you're a Pharisee, you are a doctor because you dealt with doctrine. You are doctored in the law. You are lettered in the law. Paul said that it didn't make him happy. It didn't make him happy. And those days, to become a Pharisee, you had to be intellectually sharp. Mentally, you have to be on point. You should be able to memorize the first five books of the law. The button. Did you hear that? I don't know. Thank God that today, if you have become you have to become a pastor, you are not supposed to memorize the first five books, verbatim. Probably I wouldn't qualify because I don't have that sharp of a mind to do that. Maybe I'm sure Pastor Robert would have qualified, probably. You know, and I I wouldn't. But that that is what it took. And Paul was sharp. He was intellectually astute, but that didn't give him true joy. Why? Because true joy in Christ doesn't have confidence in the flesh, and all these things you have confidence with zeal. Has the lost powers? It talks about his standing in the law, and his standing in the law. He says that according to the righteousness of the law, I was found blameless. But you know that even if you are found blameless. According to the righteousness of the law, it still doesn't warrant God's favor. It's not good enough. That's why, um, um, in in the scriptures, Isaiah, if I am right, says that your good works, your works, they're like filthy rags before me. Any good work that you do outside the grace of God, outside Christ, is a filthy rag. So yeah, you can say that according to the law, I am found blameless, but it's still not good enough to warrant God's good pleasure. Amen. So Paul said, I could have boosted in all these things. It doesn't give true joy. All that these things do is that it just gives you confidence in the flesh. And that's not where true joy is. True joy is in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus.
0: So if you want to experience true joy, don't be legalistic. Don't be a religious person. When I'm talking about
1: religious, try and understand. Religion has many different definitions. And when I'm talking about religion, in this context, I'm talking about just relying on Mere, external, superficial things to please God. That's what I'm talking as a side of religion. That's superstition. Superstition doesn't bring you true joy. It will make you worrisome, burdensome, and tired. True joy comes from having a relationship, relationship with Christ. That is the key. Amen. Now let's move further on to tonight. Verse 7. But what things were gain to me? So Paul is saying all these things, they were gain to me, very important. My status symbol of being a circumcised person, coming from a distinguished tribe, uh, my nationality, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Maybe Paul's day if they had passports, his passports may be very powerful, you know. Um, my profession, my level of education, level of education, my profession. I even see some Christians who like to boast about my profession, level of education. Maybe you haven't experienced true joy. Because the day you experience true joy in Christ, I'm not saying education is not. I believe in education a lot. I believe in formal education. I believe in education all sorts. Go to school. I will always encourage you. I'm not downplaying education. But... You don't have to come to a place whereby you will use education as a crutch, okay? It, it, it becomes confidence in the flesh. And if you think that is going to be a source of joy after getting this education, it's not going to be. It will not. Amen. So try to remember that. So Paul is saying that these things, I thought they were a game. My zeal, my enthusiasm, that I follow to persecute the church, my standing in the law, that was according to the to the righteousness of the law assembly. All these things that I thought were gain to me, I have counted them loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for
0: whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish. You know, New King James is very polite with the word rubbish here.
1: Very polite. Because the real word it wanted to use was not rubbish. If you like, check the King James version. The real word they wanted to use here is dung. Yeah, there's a big difference between d-u-n-g, dung, and rubbish. <laughs> rubbish is what you put in your, your bins and whatever. Dung is quite different. I don't want to mention the other word for dung, but picture that. That is the word that Paul wanted. He said it is as worthless, as useless, as dang, D-U-N-G, not really rubbish. Because if you look at the Greek word here, yeah, it's not really talking about It's talking about dang, D-U-N-G. And we know the other word for that. I have counted them as dang that I may gain Christ. You know something discovering Christ brings you to a very interesting conclusion. And I'll tell you what the conclusion is. All things that were gain you will count them worthless or loss. When you come to the discovery of Christ, everything that you thought was gain you will count them as rubbish. That's an interesting conclusion you will come to when you discover Christ. Everything loses value in comparison to knowing Christ as Lord.
0: And that's why we have to present Christ to our friends. We have to present Christ to our family members.
1: Because the things that they may be holding on to, my nationality, some people are so proud to be Americans. It's good, be proud to be an American, nothing wrong with that. It's good to be patriotic. Some people are so proud to be British, be proud to be a British, nothing wrong with that. Some people are proud to be Africans, good, be proud of it. We are not against it at all. But the day you will discover Christ, all those niceties that you are holding on to. That made you have confidence in the flesh, you will lose the relevance and the significance of it. Because when it's, it's, it will, it will pale in comparison to what your quest is on discovering Christ, knowing
0: Christ. You realize that, hey, it's useless. It's useless. I'm rather interested in being a child of God.
1: I'm rather interested in being his righteousness. You you lose it. But if you see a Christian who still after saying, I have received Christ and still has confidence in the flesh and all these things, perhaps he truly hasn't discovered Christ. Because the day you discover Christ, and I pray that may all of us discover Christ, because the day we will discover Christ, we will all come to this interesting conclusion. All of us. We will come to this interesting conclusion that all the things that we thought were gain, they are indeed dung. They are dung. And all that I am interested
0: in is just that I might gain Christ. That's the reality. Amen. So the pursuit of joy is in a relationship with Christ.
1: It's in a relationship with Christ. Everything loses value in comparison to knowing
0: Christ as Lord. Amen. So today, look at your state. Do you trust in earthly things? Trust in earthly things. If you trust in earthly things, if you trust status symbols, and maybe
1: you've not really discovered Christ, you haven't. You might say, oh, I said the sinner's prayer. But maybe, truly, you haven't discovered. Because the day you discover Christ, believe you me, you will come to this
0: interesting conclusion. All things are useless. All things are useless. It doesn't mean you shouldn't
1: get them. I'm not saying don't go for the degree. I'm not saying don't go for the master's. I'm not saying don't do the PhD. I'm not saying that there is something wrong with having the nationality. I mean, nationality is not your fault. You can't really contribute to your nationality. Your nationality is as a result of your parents. That's one. Another way of you know, having the nationality of your choice is probably to go to the country that you prefer and naturalize, that's, that's also another thing. N- nothing wrong with that. But the thing is that you will not have confidence in these things. Paul, despite him preaching, he was still a Hebrew of Hebrews. But he is saying that I I lost confidence in all these things because all these things it didn't produce
0: true joy in Christ. True joy in Christ came when I had a relationship with God. And today I pray
1: that may we experience true joy, true joy not because of status symbol,
0: true joy not because we come from a distinguished tribe. You know, one of the places where they are so particular about stratus of society is England.
1: They yeah, are commoner. They yeah, are royal family. Commoner. I remember when, I, I, when um, Prince William was marrying Kate or Catherine, you know, now they are Prince and Princess of Wales. The, one of the words I kept hearing in the royal wedding commentary was commoner. She is a commoner married to the royal family. I think she is the first commoner after, before Meghan Markle to marry who has non-royal blood because all the royal family members, they always marry someone who's tied to some sort of royal blood, royal connection. So Catherine and then Megan, I think are the only two commoners, so to speak. So you hear that commoner, commoner, commoner. It's like stratus of society. It doesn't bring joy, trust me, it doesn't bring joy. That's why you shouldn't promote division and schisms. It doesn't bring true joy. You might think it will bring some satisfaction, some joy. Okay, so if I am a royal member and if you're a commoner, how satisfying does it make me, how gratifying? I mean, I will not apologize if I'm I'm, I'm I'm a royal member, but I will not use that as a crutch to promote division and schisms. Are understand you understanding me? So true joy is not found in status symbol. It's not found in nationality. It's not found in professional level of education. It's not found in your zeal for things. It's not found in your standing in the law. True joy is found when you discover Christ. And when you discover Christ, you will know that, oh, the things that I had confidence in, all these things are dunk. D-U-N-G. It's not even rubbish. It's
0: worse than rubbish. It's dung. It's dank. Amen. Now look at me with verse 9. And being found in him, not
1: having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The first thing that Paul discovered. Okay, so the second thing that Paul discovered. The first thing that Paul discovered, I think it shocked him. That all things that were gained to me, I counted them down. So now look at Paul's second discovery. What did he discover? The second thing he discovered is that the righteousness by faith. No righteousness by law. And he said it. When I was found in Christ, I don't have my own righteousness, which is from the law. But I have the righteousness, which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness, which is from God by faith. That's second discovery.
0: So Paul BC, Paul before Christ, He only
1: knew one aspect of righteousness, which is of the law. But now he's saying that when I was found in Christ, I was lost. But now I'm found. I made another interesting discovery. The other discovery I made was righteousness by faith. And when we all receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, or when we are found in Christ, we will never know true righteousness until we come to God. True righteousness. Accepting the gift of righteousness is a major sign of losing confidence in the flesh. Major. I don't know how many of you witness. As Jessica and I, we have witnessed quite a lot of times. For me, one of the interesting discoveries is that one of the reasons why people do not
2: receive the gospel is because people think I'm good. I'm good. That's very dangerous. Not that I'm a sinner, because
0: when someone knows he's a sinner, Sometimes it's easy for him to receive
1: Christ. But it's beat down, he needs help. Most times, people like that, they are very receptive and open to the gospel. They look very hopeless. What is there to even boast about? Society hates me. My family hates me. I'm of no good. I know I'm useless. And that's why when you preach the
0: gospel to a sinner, You don't have to really bash him. He's already at his lowest point. At the lowest point. That's why the, the gospel is also called the gospel of hope.
2: You give them hope. Christ came to die for you. Christ came to die for you. That is the good news.
1: Resign from trying to do things to please God by your might and receive his love he has for you because he died for you, took care of your sins. This message has to travel.
0: But sometimes when you preach this message, people who have confidence
2: in the flesh think, I'm good. It's one of the things I've seen. I'm good.
0: One day someone told me, I'm good. I said, how do you know you are good? He said, I helped my
2: mom. I help my mom. I give money to strangers. I'm good.
0: I say, in as much as it's good, outside Christ, it doesn't warrant righteousness. But I'm good. But one of the interesting discoveries, when you receive Christ, you resign from
1: righteousness of the law and subscribe to righteousness by faith. Since time immemorial, man always wanted to please God by good works. It's it's an Adam syndrome, all right? It's, it's, It's genetic. It's been passed on from Adam to all of us. So all of us before Christ, we all try to establish good graces with the Creator by being good. And that is not good enough. Okay, let me show you a typical example.
0: Genesis chapter 3. I want us to read two verses there. Genesis chapter 3. I want us to look at two verses. Verse
1: 7 and verse 21. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 7 and verse 21. Now, verse 7, this was the aftermath of when they had both eaten of the fruit of the garden. All right, I don't know what fruit they ate. Some people assume it's apple. Well, apple is not written there. It says the fruit of the garden. I don't know what fruit they ate. But whatever fruit they ate, it was sin Because the law says that you should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they touched the tree, ate the fruit. And then now look what happened. The eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves caverns. So they felt naked. For the first time, they felt naked. They they sewed fig leaves together. But the last action of God to mankind before he drove them out is in verse 21. Look at it. I'm reading this from the Easy Translation. The Easy Translation. The Lord God made clothes for Adam and Eve to wear. He used the skin from animals to make them.
0: See? Now, for me, this even talks to me about the mercifulness of God. Before he
1: drove them out of the Garden of Eden, he said, let me give you proper clothing to wear. And he took the skin of animals. It means that blood was shed. okay? That's what it means. It, for 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 God to have skin of animals means an animal had to die. Blood was shed, and then the Lord prepared clothing out of animal skin and gave it to them. because these people are going to be outside the garden. How durable is a clothing made? out of fig leaves going to last not very long, but a clothing made out of animal skin is quite durable and will will take you the distance. You see, um, this last action to mankind before they were driven out of the garden, it's really symbolic of righteousness of works by man and righteousness of God by faith. How did we become righteous? We became righteous because Christ died for our sins. That's why we became righteous. And in this case, God was communicating a message. When you sin,
0: you can't cover yourself. You can't fix yourself. Your works at best.
2: It's still like fig leaves. It will wither. That come to me, I will fix you. Blood was shed to
0: make clothing for them, to cover them. Today, you and I
1: are righteous. Do you know why? Not because we did some good works. We are righteous because of Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Blood has to be shed so that we could attain that new identity, the righteousness of God. So since time immemorial, we've always had this sickness or this disorder to fix ourselves, wanting to be right. And this was Paul. He said, according to the law, according to the righteousness of the law, I was blameless. But when I came into Christ, I discovered there was something better than righteousness by works, which is righteousness by faith in God through Christ Jesus. And I rather subscribe to that one. So when we, well, that's one of the interesting discoveries Paul found when he received Christ. The first discovery, all things are rubbish. They are dung. The things that I could have confidence in, I could boast in, is dung. Secondly, the the righteousness that I thought by through the law, I was found blameless. I realized there was something better, something far better, the righteousness of God. And today I pray that truly may we submit and subscribe to the righteousness of God because the righteousness of the law, which depends on man's attempts, it's it's very tireless. It's very tiring, so to say. It is. Yes, you will be trying to constantly please God, and your good will not be good enough.
0: Amen. So that was Paul's discovery. He discovered that the righteousness of God. Now,
1: based on that, I want us to look at Paul's quest. After, after these two discoveries, he decided to
0: go on a quest. And I want us to look at that in verses 10 to 11. So Paul made two interesting discoveries.
1: In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 to 9, Paul made two interesting discoveries. Greece, I'm sorry.
0: The first discovery, all things that were gained to me, they are dung. That's the first discovery.
1: And truly, if we have received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we will have the same testimony like Paul. It's dung. The car that you boast in is dung. Your education, qualification, profession that you boast in is dung. I'm telling you. Your nationality or your passport that you boast in, like the article I read, how powerful is your passport? Can you believe that there are some people who will read this that will feel so good and it will even boost their self-esteem? It's dank. Okay, if I have a passport that I can travel to 178 countries, and so what? Come on, man. It's dung. Okay, if I have a passport that can give me access to 50 countries, and so what? It's dung. But if you've not received Christ, all these things are
0: gain. They are gain. But when you receive Christ, everything pales in comparison to knowing Christ.
1: It's dung. Your zeal, your enthusiasm, your standing in the law, thinking that you are righteous. You don't need God because you're good. You don't need God because you donate. You don't need God because you give to charity. Once you discover God, you realize that all these things that I bragged with and that gave me confidence in the flesh, it is done. That's discovery. The second discovery is that, man, there is something better than righteousness by works, which is righteousness by faith in God. You will discover another righteousness. And Paul's two discoveries is food for thoughts. If truly we have discovered Christ, we will also come to these very two interesting conclusions. All these two discoveries. Now, Paul, knowing this, he had a quest. He had a desire. He now refocused his zeal on something else. Before Paul became an apostle, he was a Pharisee. He had one zeal. The zeal was to fulfill what was in the letter of the law. One of them was to persecute the church and persecute Christians. That was his zeal. But now that he has discovered Christ, he's been found in Christ, and he's made interesting discoveries, it's not informing his zeal, his
0: quest. And that's something that I want us to know. So verse 10 to 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the
1: fellowship of his suffering, Being conformed to his death, verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection
0: of Christ. So the first quest, I want to know Christ. That's my desire.
1: But when you read the previous verses, what was Paul's desire? He had zeal to persecute the Christians. Zeal. That was
0: his zeal, enthusiasm. But now he has a refocused zeal. His
1: zeal now is no longer to persecute Christians. His zeal now is to know Christ. The same intensity with which I, I persecuted Christians
0: hard, I, I, I have rechanneled that zeal to follow after Christ hard, hard. Yeah. A hard follower of Christ. I want to follow Christ hard. I'm going all the way. I want to have a deeper relationship with God. Because you see, Paul, before he became an apostle,
1: thought he knew God. But he knew God in theory. At the best. He could study the scripture and knew God by theory. But now Paul receiving Christ now realizes it's more than theory. It's a relationship. It is experiential. It is practical. I want to know Christ. I want to have a deeper
0: relationship. I want my relationship with God to be deepened and meaningful. This is Paul's zeal. The Paul's zeal has changed. I want to know Christ.
1: And this evening, I pray, may we know Christ. Second desire, second zeal, to understand the power of his resurrection. You know, when I was meditating on this, I realized that last year or so, I did a series on this. So probably you could listen to it because I I really covered it in detail. I think I took one of these things in verse 10 to 11. I, I did an expansive breakdown. So probably you could listen to the message and you will find it. Amen. All right. So the second desire to understand the power of
0: Christ's resurrection. Every believer ought to understand the significance of this event. One of the
1: central themes of Christianity is the resurrection of Christ. It shouldn't only be highlighted on Easter, but on a daily basis in our work with God.
0: We need to understand the power of the significance of his resurrection. Very important. How does that apply to my Christian faith? How does that apply to my daily walk with God? We've got to understand that. Amen. And that's why when you look at the Christian landscape,
1: we barely understand resurrection because we don't touch on it. Sometimes we touch on it very hurriedly. Three days, Good Friday, Maybe a Holy Saturday if you want to do a, a program or Easter Sunday, that'll be it. So maybe two days or three days of the year. But it's, it's, it's not a ceremonial or a seasonal message. It's a daily message because it helps us in our daily work with God understand the power of his resurrection. The third desire that Paul had or the third zeal was that he
2: wanted to be a partaker of Christ's sufferings. He wanted to
0: be a partaker. That is the suffering that comes with
1: proclaiming the faith. He wants to be a partaker of that. That zeal. This was a man who first mated our sufferings to the early church. He said, I, now, my zeal has been realigned. I've re my zeal. My zeal now is to be a partaker of the sufferings. And during Paul's days, suffering was part of being a Christian. One of the things that could happen was that you'd be in jail. And Paul was writing this in jail. It's part of the suffering. When you profess you were a believer, like I said in times past, you could easily die. That was it. The
0: fourth thing, he says, I'll be conformed to his death. Conformed to his death. Paul is saying that I'm all in. I have zeal. I'm all in. The fifth thing that
1: I will attain to the resurrection from the dead. So now, Paul's zeal now has
0: shifted to eternal things. Above all, that I'll be a candidate of the resurrection. That's what he's saying. So today, in our
1: Bible study, we've looked at Paul's two discoveries when he became a Christian And then we've looked at five desires or five zeals of Paul. His zeal was rechanneled from persecuting the early church to five things. That he will know Christ, understand the power of his resurrection, he will be a fellow partaker of the sufferings,
0: and that he will attain to the resurrection of Christ and then be conformed to Christ's death, five zeals. It's almost like a 180 degrees.
1: What made that happen? What made that happen is he was found in God where you can find true joy. So the two discoveries Paul
0: had, his first discovery, all the things I boasted with, they are done. It all pales in comparison to knowing Christ.
1: Number two, my second discovery. I thought I was blameless according to the writing of the law, but I realized I have to subscribe to something higher. Righteousness by faith, which is in God, in Christ. And then now, informs his zeals and his desires. His desire of knowing Christ, desire of understanding the power of his resurrection, the desire of the, the, the fellowship of his suffering, the desire of being conformed to his death, the desire of becoming a candidate when the resurrection event takes place. Amen. So I'll stop here. We'll continue next week. Next week, I want to believe we'll finish the whole of chapter 3. And we'll have our
0: last chapter to deal with. Amen. I pray we all learn something tonight. Did we
2: all learn something? Okay. Well, we have four minutes on the clock. Before we end, what did we learn?
0: One minister to you. What's one thing did you take home?
2: Amen. So it will be good to hear you guys on the floor. I, I would
0: say that there is um no material or
3: physical possession that can be compared to um the knowledge of Christ. So all other things are worthless compared to the knowledge of Christ. Um, because all that Paul had were things that others were boasting about. Others who were not even, who didn't have what he, all the things that he had. Others were not Pharisees Who were even just um, Jewish people who were proud in the fact that they were sons of, or they were descendants of Abraham. But Paul Um, with all that on top of that being blameless being a Pharisee a teacher of the law still said all those things are worthless so I I guess until you really come to Christ you might not even know the worthlessness in the things that you are boasting about but when you come to Christ you you get a a true understanding of the worth of life and the things that you rely on or things that you, you You boast about, you realize that they are worthless. Amen.
1: Powerful. Let me ask this question. So, why do people boast in maybe status symbols and nationality, even though they say they are Christians? I see that some people maybe say, I've received Christ, but
2: they still boast in these things. Why? I, I would I would think that it's ignorance,
3: mm. um, even though they have come to Christ, but I guess they still don't have understanding in some areas. Because I think that the closer you get to God, the more you learn not to rely on yourself or anything that you have. The more you know about Him, you, you learn more to rely on Him instead. So I would I would say my my suggest. Um, my, in my opinion, that is,
2: um, that will be ignored.
3: Amen.
1: Powerful. Will someone else like to contribute before we are done for tonight? Okay, Pastor Jessica, I see that you're to yourself. You can talk.
4: Yeah, uh, so, so, um, in addition to what Pastor Robert said, I believe there's also that, that there's ignorance. And then, um, in, in, in certain things and I think the there is also a lack of um, the knowing who you are in Christ. I think that you know if 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 you if we all know who we are in Christ then our mindset is not our nationality culture, and it's not this world's culture, but we will see ourselves in regards to kingdom culture. And I see that with even big men of God, you know, and it's also renewing of the mind. It's also a a progressive thing where some of us are just not there yet and haven't grasped that yet. Um, But when we really think kingdom culture, It really breaks down a lot of uh, biases, prejudices, um, a a lot of even backgrounds and how you grew up. You only grew up with mother, you only grew up with one father, you know, with only a father or only a mother. That's what I mean. Um, And it transcends a lot of a lot of different things. It transcends gender. You know, why are we so scared of homosexuals being in our church? Why are we scared when we see a man struggling and still dressed as a woman sitting down in church? Why, why do, don't we treat them as Christ would treat them? Why are we still struggling? And I think that's just it. I think we just don't see it as kingdom culture. That's mm-hmm.
1: all So just to be on the same page, what do you mean by kingdom culture?
4: Oh, we don't see people as God sees them. We don't see people according to the Bible. The Bible says uh, there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Greek. You know, yes, we are from there. And we have to have an awareness that we are that, that we are male, that we are female, that we are a Jew or we are a Greek. But when it comes to treating each other, we treat each other with respect with high regard, you know, be, be beyond tradition. That's that's, that's what I'm, I'm coming to. You know, tradition says you see a homosexual, they automatically, I've, I've, I've heard Christians be automatically offended and disgusted. But if you see them as Christ sees them, then you can bring them to Christ by showing them that respect. It doesn't mean that you accept their sin, sin is sin. But if you see them and their struggle, you you will eventually bring, you can, you can, some might still leave and that's okay, but you can, I believe they can be saved and changed. That's my thing. Yeah. Amen. Is that better? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Better. Amen. All right. God bless you all. I've enjoyed all your contributions. Thank you. I pray that may we truly find joy, true joy is in the pursuit of Christ. True joy is in the pursuit of the knowledge of Christ. Okay? So understand what true joy is. It's in the pursuit of Christ. The pursuit of the person of Christ. True joy is in the pursuit of the knowledge of Christ. That's where true joy is found. That's why it's important to start from Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, where Paul said that we rejoice in Christ Jesus. True joy is found in Christ, not in things that we boast of that will make us have confidence in the flesh. So today, may the Lord strip us of every confidence that we have in the flesh because that will be the beginning of walking on the road to true joy, which can only be found in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that your word is established in heaven and on this earth. We pray that may we experience true joy. May we also come to the discoveries that Paul discovered, and may we have the quests, the desires. May our zeal be rechanneled and realigned to have the zeal of knowing you, the zeal of understanding the power of your resurrection, the zeal of being a partaker of your suffering, the zeal of being conformed to your death, and the zeal of being part of the resurrected on the final day. Thank you, Lord, that this word will transform us. And we thank you that it says see that's working in us in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I appreciate you being with me tonight for Bible study. God willing, we are meeting tomorrow. We'll be praying. Um, we continue our 30 for 30. So we'll be here from 7.30.
2: I look forward to seeing you as we pray together. Good night.